is up, Internet? Sometimes to love someone, you gotta be a stranger. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you're sitting around watching TV, and suddenly you discover a wasp crawling on your wrist. I'm Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film. Shahir, what are we doing? Blade Runner 2040... Which one was it? 2040... Was it 47? 48? 49. 49. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Come on. And we are joined by special guest returning to the podcast after his triumphant debut on our Aliens episode. Also the DP of work by Nigel Stanford that I have directed, uh, including Cymatics Automatica and a whole lot of other stuff that you probably would have seen. Yes. Cinematographer, uh, all around nice guy, great glasses. Timor Sivan, <laughs> because this is an audio visual medium, you just got to imagine the glasses, by the way. Timor, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. My glasses actually go through through the, uh, the internet into people. So homes. technically anyone listening to this on their phone or their, their <laughs> iPod or whatever, their computer are now wearing your glasses. In the future, if you're in the Blade Runner universe, you will always have Timor's glasses on. Like an oh, emoji. wow. Yeah. Wow. Permanently attached. Permanently attached. How you doing, buddy? We haven't talked since last January. <laughs> yeah, I think we uh, got together for uh, Aliens. We did. Yeah, and so, so there's a fun fact about this is we recorded that Aliens episode almost a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and then held off until the release of Automatica, which took us a little while, unfortunately. Uh, and a little while. A little while. Quotes. <laughs> uh, so even though you may have recently heard Timo on that Aliens episode, uh, it's it's been a while since we've spoken, Timor. Uh, you've been busy. We, you and I haven't caught up in a while. Yeah, I, I've had a hell of a summer. Uh, just been been. It's been nonstop. It's sort of like a strange shift has happened career wise. So I'm just I'm just like trying to catch my breath. Oh, right now. Well, I'll, I'll, What's the okay? Is yeah. it a, is it a shift we can talk about? Yeah, or? I mean, I'm just doing different things. You know, like getting ever since. Uh, it's funny, ever since Automatica, you know, I've Shahir and I both are somewhat guilty of occasionally sneaking uh, a clip or two to people to just kind of be like, yes, I make nice stuff, but yeah. wait till you see this. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. And uh, so, you know, just sort of it's, you know, when you, people get to know you for what you do. So like, you know, you're, the, robo- on, you're uh, the robot guy now. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, oh damn, that's really hard to film guy. Oh really? That's yeah. Tough. So it's just been all technical stuff and like high speed and strange special effects. And I mean, uh, that, that sounds way things. cooler than the, oh, he's the guy that can almost pull it off guy. You know what exactly. I mean? No, yes. just, I'm saying it as a reputation, you right, want right, to right. be the guy who's known for the ability to pull off cool, intricate shit yeah, it's as opposed to, you know, that dude's real good at cat food commercials. <laughs> like, you know, so I, that's, which, which believe it or not, I have a cat food commercial that wow. has something insane, like 30 yes. million views. The best of both worlds. Wow. You it's, know, right the, now, it's the meow mix, uh, techno, techno, uh, <laughs> I will have to check yeah. that out. My cat yeah. will, uh, will, will flip her litter. Uh, but we're not talking about cat litter here. We're talking about Blade Runner. But before we get to Blade Runner, I just want a quick shout out to a couple of tweets and conversations that have been going on uh, in the only podcast about movies, cinematic universe. And even before you do that, if other people wanted to do it, Shahir, before you're before, how could the people do it before if they wanted to write in before (laughs) this episode before? Uh, Before you could do that, you could get on the Internet, perhaps with your ISP, you know, go to dial up if you need to, but also go to the cables and the fiber optics and whatever you have. The series of tubes. Sign up to Twitter if you want, you know, give yourself a 
username and a password and a nice cat photo, then go onto our Twitter page, which is at OnlyMoviePod, or also uh, hit us up via email. You'll have to sign up for a Gmail account for this one, or whatever, or maybe an AOL account. Uh, and email us at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com to give us your thoughts and feedbacks. And I just wanted to, uh, I wasn't here last week. I, Welcome I, back. Thank you very much. Uh, I just wanted to give a special shout out because I've been having a lot of conversations with people on the internet of uh, people who listen to us, and it's been really lovely. And I, and I was just, I was remarking to myself that yes, we are the only podcast, uh, the only about, one, the only podcast about movies. Uh, and, uh, but, but I will admit, I will admit we're not the biggest podcast in the world. Like, you know, maybe it's this American life and then us, I don't know. Um, but y- yes, <laughs> the, well, the, okay. Where are you going with this? <laughs> but I just wanted to say the people who do listen to our show oh, yes. are very, very smart and engaged. And I really love it when people come on to Twitter and talk to us and, and continue the conversations that we have, uh, uh, in this room, and 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 uh, I just I, I kind of I'm just in a generous mood, I guess, uh, and, and in a in a sort of reflective mood. I just want to say thank you to all those people. I really, I, I both of us, Matt, hundred percent, really I, appreciate everyone who reaches out to us uh, and talks to us. It's so lovely. Here, <laughs> I know you are more of the uh, the vocal back and forth with many of our fans, uh, and. Uh, I, I just so everyone knows who writes in and gets into a conversation about uh, with Shahir, I'm the lurker and I'll probably say like I'm reading everything and I'm loving it, but I'll probably just say one smart ass thing and then like I'll I'll, then I'll go back to the shadows. Out of there. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, look, we have a we have a small yet dedicated fan base, and uh, y- you you people are the reason why we keep talking into the ether. So thank you very much for listening and. Uh, Couple yeah. of those people included uh, Rajiv on Twitter, who is actually a friend of mine, uh, someone I knew back uh, in New Zealand. Um, uh, just uh, a long, drawn-out conversation about uh, can Batman be black, um, which was a great discussion we had a few few weeks ago with Damian Lemon and Carolina Ravasa. That's right. Um, lots of good stuff there. Uh, in fact, uh, Rajiv showed me a photo of when Batman was actually black. Yep, uh, which was a fun uh, little discovery. <laughs> so podcast ruined. Yeah, there you go, uh, Rajiv. <laughs> is also the host of the A to Z of New Zealand film uh, or the A to Z of NZ film uh, and they have a special episode this week with Cliff Curtis uh, if you uh, uh, know Cliff Curtis is the the actor who can play any ethnicity he's currently the lead on The Walking Dead uh, you would have seen him in several films I'm trying to think of rattle him off the top of my head but Training Day is one that comes to mind right uh, The Insider he's he's just a phenomenal phenomenal actor uh, and he's currently on their show uh, this week so check out the A to Z of NZ Film. Uh, we had a really lovely tweet from Jacob, one of our regular listeners about our mother episode. Uh, Jacob just commented uh, rather lovely that uh, he had listened to a few other podcasts about mother and he thought ours was the best discussion of it. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, also, Thanks, buddy. NZ Astro, uh, who I believe I actually know who this is, uh, says this is the only podcast I listen to. And really? I, and, and I actually believe that to be true because this, this is the person I think it is. He does reach out to me after every episode to discuss. Um, so thank you, NZ Astro, for that iTunes review. Uh, Matt, last Aww. week you guys reviewed American Made, and I wasn't here, but I dropped in some questions. Timor, have you seen American Made, by the way? I have not. It, it seems to be a movie that has slipped under the radar oh, of a yeah. lot of people. Much like, much like uh, Seal's piloting abilities itself, it uh, just seems to not be able to be blipped anywhere. Not, seal, not, not kissed by a rose seal. No. <laughs> but, but 
<laughs> that li- that really didn't land. No. I was really I was really hoping nope. for us to like do like a little bit of la da 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 da. da. No, okay. No, okay. <laughs> not, not there yet. Get, hey, let me have a drink first here. Jeez. <laughs> um, but I wrote in a couple questions about Tom Cruise. I appreciate you guys answering those questions. I'm surprised nobody mentioned one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies, Magnolia, oh, which I yes. think is a real good example uh, for those who people who didn't listen catch up on that episode. Uh, we uh, the episode talked about Tom Cruise's persona. Um, and, and I wanted to figure out if American made kind of reinforced what, what we believe to be true about the Tom Cruise persona that has made him so popular as a box office draw, uh, or subverted. And we talked to, I think you guys talked a little bit about movies that have subverted it. Um, I think Magnolia is one of those. There is actually, I found, uh, and this is for anyone who's interested in the Tom Cruise cinematic universe. There is a piece, (laughs) there is a piece of academic authorship on Tom Cruise as, as a, as an identity on screen, uh, the book is called Tom Cruise Performing Masculinity in the Post-Vietnam Hollywood by Ruth O'Donnell. And uh, I just wanted to pull up this quote, which I... Sounds uh, like a laugh a minute uh, doc- document. You know, if you're interested in scholarly research on uh, on uh, the personality, not the personality of performance, but what do actors actually signify, I think sure. it's an interesting one. And this is the quote that they... Uh, that Ruth O'Donnell wrote, uh, which was amid Reagan era military jingoism and concern over declining industrial labor. He, Tom Cruise, represented a new model of American masculinity based on white collar upward mobility. Spanning blockbuster films such as Risky Business, Jerry Maguire and Mission Impossible series. This book illustrates how his carefully, uh, how his characters exemplify entrepreneurialism, charisma, technological gadgetry and verbal acuity to redefine male success. Um, and I, I, I think there's something to this idea of Tom Cruise representing, um, an aspirational quality that we all kind of, um, that, that I think as moviegoers, we identify with, there's something to me, the Tom Cruise personality has to do with a, with a work ethic. Um, that's not only in his off-screen persona, but in his on-screen persona as well. So, uh, it's an interesting conversation. You guys should check out the episode on American Made. Matt, you're kind of squinting at me like you're like, uh, like you're not quite in agreement. I mean, I, I, I'd have to, I'd have to dive more into Tom Cruise. I, I, I don't, that's, that's putting a lot of, that's a putting a lot of, uh, social onus on, on him in a weird way. Maybe that's true. And the book might, uh, the, might, might prove that, uh, right. it just, it's a hard thing for me to swallow just on face value, but go check that out and see if uh if that if that turns you or reestablishes whatever pre-existing uh, opinions mm-hmm. you may have wait i don't remember tom cruise being in blade runner did he play the dead tree <laughs> he most certainly <laughs> did it was one of his highest paid cameos is that your subtle way of telling us to talk about the film we asked you to come talk about yes please <laughs> fine Matt, this is the third film by Denis Villeneuve that we have done on this podcast. It sure is. Uh, the other two being uh, Enemy and Sicario. Uh, and Arrival. And Arrival. Oh, so this will yeah. be the fourth film. Yeah. He might be the most ubiquitous uh, auteur or filmmaker did he, that we... He we, didn't do Prisoners? He did do Prisoners, but we haven't reviewed we it on this re- podcast. We didn't review that. Why have we not reviewed Prisoners? <laughs> we should, because, because uh, Prisoners also reunites uh, Villeneuve with uh, Roger Deakins, and it's probably one of my favorite films that came out that year. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's we're a, talking. It's, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's frankly... Uh, um, it's another one of those films that slipped under a lot of people's radars, um, but it's an incredible film. I just rewatched that again recently. Not only beautiful, but just um, haunting. I think if you enjoyed the film Seven, perhaps, uh, you will really, really get uh, a lot out of Prisoners. Interesting. 
so Matt, uh, Villeneuve made your favorite film of yes. 2016. Yes, it's, which is crazy. So I was... um. I was fairly psyched for this movie, though, in an interesting way, uh, just getting into my history with Blade Runner. I don't have one. Uh, I've not seen the original. I hadn't seen it until maybe 2002. Okay. Uh, and by oh. then it was an interesting uh, experience. I've always seen it twice in my life, once then and then once uh, last week. Okay. Uh, and I didn't particularly like it. Okay. I watched a tw- uh, 2007 version this time, uh, director's director's cut or whatever the latest the final cut, cut? Is, the final cut. Yeah. Uh, it was slow and boring and I didn't find many characters other than the main bad guy. Interesting. Roy Batty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I think what got me the most was cause I, I think cause it's such a beautiful film and it sets up such a lived in world, but, uh, the, that would have been enough to get me by on everything else. Mm -hmm. But the fact that most every other sci-fi thing I love has basically uh, strip mined this movie down, down to like noodle shop owners looking exactly the same and like cowboy bebop, like everything about this, about blade runner. I had already ingested in other media, even though it came from here. Right. So I didn't enjoy it from from a perspective of, oh, my God, this feels so new and interesting. This was just like, oh, man, the art direction and the cinematography of this movie are great. Yeah, but the movie was 32, 40, whatever, 35 years old, 35 yeah, it, years old at that point. Yeah, 1982. So Timor and I have talked extensively about Blade Runner in the past on set and uh, probably offline. Timor, what's your and I know you've been hunting around for a 4K version of Blade Runner for a little while. Did you finally manage to get that? I did. I found it. Ooh. And it's uh, actually it's funny. The minute I started looking for it, uh, it was released like four days later. Oh, wow. Uh, and I just like it was like, you know, I scoured the Internet for it. And I just said, let me just check Amazon one last time. <laughs> you know, and then I, boom, there it was. I 4K, wish that HDR, all the goodies, remastered version. And it's not so much that, you know, the resolution of 4K isn't really that big of a deal. The 1080 version I have looks pretty much as good. Yeah. But it's that HDR part where you just get all the rich saturated colors and the neon like of the signs just it doesn't glob up. It just looks rich and real and luscious and three dimensional. And it's just absolutely beautiful. You know, I wish I had the same luck uh, with my very same hunt for Jim Cotta. But it just has not happened the yet. 4K. The four K, uh, the four K uh, copy of Jim Cotta is has not been released yet, and I will keep petitioning. It'll it'll happen one day. But that's that's cool. It's that's cool as shit. Like, uh, an HDR is such an interesting sort of. Um, it's like it's a basically. I mean, how would you describe that very quickly? It's contrast technology, right? It's a uh, it's a the the darks are darker, the brights are brighter, the colors can be more saturated without getting weird. Yeah, and uh, I think I've I've only seen video games played, and I don't think I've actually seen a film uh, on it yet. Yeah, uh, it's it, not to be confused with HDR in the like photography sense, though. Right, of course. Which looks strange. Yeah, you know? HDR, HDR in the photography sense gives you uh, a higher, uh, different bumps of exposure, both in the positive and negative, to give you a fuller image, which is not technically untrue for what it is in film, but it doesn't work in the same way. I just find it so interesting, and maybe even coming from a cinematographer's perspective too, Timor, th- this mm-hmm. uh, this might be, uh, this is, a, a, you know, up for debate, but I think HDR technology makes images look better than 4k does and maybe it's because i'm yes. watching these things i, I yeah. agree with you 100 percent. i uh, think hd if 1080 for example you know if you put two screens next to each other one of them is a standard de- dynamic range 4k image yep. and you somehow magically created 1080 hdr 
you will be more attracted to the 1080 HDR yeah. because it just looks better. I yeah. got I got that's, that's the benefit. It's not the res. It's yeah, the, it's the color and, I, and the contrast. I mean, basically every project I've directed for the last three or four years has been in 4k. And, and so I'm getting to see these things in 4k. And I got to be honest with you, the, 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 the perceptual difference between 4k and standard HD definition is really imperceptible. Um, it's really so you can reposition, right? I mean, that's kind of what it's turned into. At least the stuff that I've worked on, everyone's like, oh, 4k. So we can actually slide around a little bit when we make our final actually, 1920 by 1080. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the way we should be. <laughs> no, and it actually, it actually doesn't work as well as that because you're still scaling pixels up. And so a pixel is still a fixed size. And if you scale it up, well, we just technically oh, scaling it down. Yeah. Or if you, but if you rescaling for, Oh, position, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's still a pixel being bigger. Timor actually, uh, so the recently the red, uh, camera just released the, what is it called? The Monstro. Is yeah. That, there's, they have two 8k cameras now. Ooh. So 4k is long gone. Now yeah. we're Fuck doing 4K. 8K. And, uh, Timor, you actually just put up a, a side-by-side comparison or, or an explanation of what, well, how I, I just works. did an explanation of, you know, when, when anytime like some kind of new technology is released, there's always people who are like, you know, you know, these are the same guys that sit <laughs> on porches and predict the weather by the ache in their knees, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was some people who were saying, why are we even bothering with this, you know, 8k, this is so stupid, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, you're never going to notice it. But the truth is you do. I mean, I, the analogy I used was that it's like a retina display on a Mac. Right. Yeah. You well, know, I, it's it's so the pixels are so small and there's so much resolution that it, the actual material that makes up the image becomes invisible. It becomes right. paint. It stops being pixels. Yeah, right. which is which you is know? super cool. I, but I also think like at what in your professional opinion, at what screen would that size does that really become noticeable past? <laughs> but it's not. a. See, that's the thing is that it's not about it looking sharper. It's just about the pixels getting out of the way of the picture. Right. OK. All right. That's, no. that's the idea. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah. So, so Timor, uh, circling back to Blade Runner itself. So mm-hmm. you're, you're obviously, you know, because it's a, it's a gorgeous looking film. You're oh, obviously dude. a fan of the, the way it looks, but, but, but beyond that, do you actually like Blade Runner, the film, the original, the original film? Yeah. Oh my God. I love that film. Right. From a story I mean, point it, of view. Yeah. From a story point of view. I mean, I, I find for me the immersive it's the most immersive movie I, I think I've ever seen. Right. Um, you know, when I was a little kid, I, I, I think I might've mentioned it last time, but I've watched star Wars literally a thousand times. Cause I yeah. watched it three times a day for you know, yeah. five years. <laughs> um, but Blade Runner was right behind it. You right. know, it was this movie that I, I would consume anytime I could because I just wanted to live in Los Angeles 2019. <laughs> Why? I wanted to go to the off-world colonies, man. But they never show the off-world colonies. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just, there's something about the rain and the, and the darkness and the, and the crime and the fake, the fact that animals are gone. So they're all these like mechanized, rep, you know, replicant animals and, it was just such an interesting world because it was so close and it wasn't that far away, we're, you know, and it was it was almost like something to live up to. And, it, 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 you know, well, live down to, I suppose. But you, you sound more still, goth than I did back then with the description of wanting to live in a dark dystopian rain factory. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Like I was a really happy kid, but I, I, I just I All just right. love hey. that. I love that world. And I like Decker and I loved Rachel and. You know, uh, Roy Batty was the man, you know, Pris and all, you know, every, all of them, Leon and all the characters, they were all just, 
there was a childlike quality to the replicants that I think in a weird way, like, you know, being a young person, I kind of, I, I associated with them because they kind of didn't understand the world that they were in. Right. Even though the beautiful line as it is, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. But the question, what makes it interesting is he, he realizes in the time when he's dying that maybe it did, he, he didn't understand what it is that he had seen until that moment. Right. And everything he see, he's seen will be lost like tears in the rain. Like tears in the rain, which he made up, which uh, Rutger Hauer came Improvised, up with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Best I, line in the I have to admit, I, I saw Blade Runner uh, a little bit later in life as well. I saw it, I think, when I was like, uh, I don't know, 15, 16 or something like that. And I wasn't, uh, I remember being in admiration of the film as a production. Like it just, it seemed to me like no other film I'd seen before. But I, I wasn't that enamored from a narrative point of view, I found, uh, and and I, as time has gone and the, the sort of multiple cuts has come out and the different interpretations of what, um, you know, what, what, what Dickard is and whether, you know, whether he's a replicant or not. Um, we talked about this a little bit on our, uh, alien covenant episode where we did a little bit of, uh, back history on, uh, on Ridley Scott and his, um, and his, uh, uh, often uh, releasing director's cuts that that fundamentally change what we understand about the film. Man's never finished. Yeah, so I I've I've often found that to be um, more of an example of of unclear filmmaking and um, and what. But I, I like you, Matt. I watched it again the night before I went and saw Blade Runner. Uh-huh. I watched the final cut, and and I did. I am still in, despite my misgivings about this film. My 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 general. You know, it's not a film I kind of, I believe I will watch unless I need to, you know, whereas there are other films that I will watch just at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Um, I, when I watched it, I was like, there are no further films like this, even, you know, cause it's a, it's a melding of, of, of film noir. So the kind of, you know, gritty crime thriller, you know, that we saw from the sixties with this sort of pop future tick techno universe that you know was was coming to fruition that would come you know that would kind of like find its its final coalescence in in say something like the terminator but it's much it's much more ambitious and painterly than a film like the terminator it's much more uh i would say i would say it's 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 art direction is more ambitious than the art direction of terminator i wouldn't say it as a film is more ambitious i I think it's a hundred percent more ambitious than terminator uh, without a doubt terminator 2 not terminator i'm sorry it is yeah it is a much more ambitious film in terms of what it's trying to do um and 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 there are not many films like it um it's also you know we talked a little bit about you know ridley scott's batting average as far as his success rate as a director goes and and i think this is the you know this and alien uh, are the films that give him the the right to make whatever films he wants for the rest of his career, because they are um, not only among his, his best work, but also among the the best work of any filmmaker. Um, So while I don't love Blade Runner, uh, I think it is a beautiful and enigmatic film that is worth multiple viewings. Um, I got to be honest. I just, I was so surprised. I mean, I remember watching it and being like, Oh, that's cool. The first time and then rewatching it. How 
fucking and this is I, I'm glad if other people I'm obviously many other people enjoy it but I was so bored right I was so bored the only thing that made me not bored were the visuals which were always sort of engaging and then I started enjoying it a bit on more of a technical level mm-hmm. but the second I looked back at story I don't and again I think it's because it's been strip mined away and been, pieces of it have been put in so much other stuff I feel like it's old hat even though it's the grandfather like uh, but then there's some stuff that doesn't hold up like there's uh there's the there's a pretty rapey moment uh and that does not hold up in this day and age very well it actually got me sort of questioning deckard in general uh and and i was like what is hat like this is tonally different but but it is a noir trope Mm-hmm. that they were moving into here. And then you get into the questions of, well, if she's a replicant, then is this, is this, is, is she the equivalent of a toaster? In which case you can't do anything like it's, it doesn't have rights, but that's the whole thing of the movie. And then I'm like, I'm just uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> so, so, um, okay. So we're coming, we are, we are coming into Blade Runner 2049 from actually kind of three very different places. You, so we can all agree. The original Blade Runner is, is technical mastery. And I think art direction and cinematography as well. Then we have Shahir who thinks it's, it's more than that. And then I think, uh, Timor, you think it's, I would say out of the three of us, you are the biggest, uh, champion of the original Blade Runner of the original. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're coming at this at this sequel 35 years later from from three different points and uh, and and coming at it with a filmmaker that I think we're all fans of Denis Villeneuve. Oh, so good. Um, and so, you know, and and, you know, Timor, the reason we wanted to have you on the show as well is is that this is a, you know, a, another collaboration between Villeneuve and uh, and 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 the, the and most, we miss you. you know, well, in that and and Thanks. the most the I think one of the most nominated yet non-winning Oscar uh, Oscar nominees of Oscar all time, people of all time. Roger Deakins, a uh, cinematographer who is yet to win an Oscar. Uh, I'm sure this year will be his year, but it, it seems absurd have, that he hasn't uh, been written. So far. I have a stronger religious affiliation with Roger Deakins than I do anything else in this life. So in this life and Hell in this yeah. life and the next, uh, probably this gotta, life and the next, I got to tell you. So I am guilty of not knowing names a lot with the, when it's the people behind the curtain. Uh, so when I was looking through this, because I thought this movie looked so fucking good, uh, 2049, uh, the, th- I, I went back and, and looked at Roger's, uh, filmography uh and, and i'm looking and it's, it's all of them and i'm yeah. like it's and all I'm the like, great movies oh this is all the shit i like and yeah. like how did i not know that this one dude shot all the shit i like uh it's it's truly truly amazing and uh so i don't know i just i i was it's funny, uh, yeah. Timor and I, you know, before we talk about this movie, and I think... <laughs> before the, we talk about this no, movie. No, no, because, because I think this is actually maybe a good indicator of how uh, people feel about it. Because because one of the things that people are gravitating towards in discussions of this movie is the look of it. It is, it is, a, it is a striking, striking film. Uh, Timor, before we even get into the mm-hmm. narrative of it, like, l- walk us through you as a cinematographer watching this movie, just from a visual point of view. <laughs> See, it's funny. I, I, I walked out of the theater at the end and I was just like, I, I think I just need to quit. Right. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, it's, it's over. He finished it. It's done. There's no, there's nothing left. I, I, there's nothing I can add to the pool. You Movie know? making is over. Yeah. Movie making is over. Well, cinematography is over, okay. but, um, there, there's a, there's a lot of, I, I mean, and, and while this movie didn't particularly have, 
and I'm talking 2049 yeah. in particular. Well, let me before before I get to the cinematography of 2049 because this is actually really an important part to me. We have to talk about Jordan Cronenweth who shot the original. The Blade original, Runner. yes. Was it Jordan Cronenweth? I thought Jordan Cronenweth is yeah. a very very good cinematographer. He shot films like Peggy Sue Got Married and you know a few other semi well known medium sized films. A lot of music videos as well. A lot of music. Yeah, yeah, he did do a lot of music videos. Yeah. But Blade Runner was, and, and this is probably where uh, uh, Ridley Scott chose him from, because really, you know, he, he doesn't mess around. He's a yeah. high-end commercial guy. He only hires the best. But I feel like, I feel like this, in that one instance, you know, it was, <laughs> you know, the, when given the opportunity to go ham, <laughs> he didn't just go ham. He went Iberian ham. You know what I mean? Right, like he right. just, he just went fully. He took every single photographic element, lighting element. Um, and, and, and you see the beauty and the texture of those sets. I mean, they're, they're so detailed and they're shot in some of the most beautiful locations and they built these giant and they built half that city. I mean, you know, it's the whole soundstage was street after street. You know, it's steeped in darkness and rain and shafts of light from ominous helicopters or something. Like, you don't even know where the hell the light's coming from half the time or why there's a light pointing in through his kitchen window, but it is. And the, the genius of his choices. Yeah. All of those little subtle choices, and they start compounding on each other, and and it, and it's very much a case of the sum is more than the value of the parts. Yeah, I, it, there's an interesting, there's a quality to um, the, the that original Blade Runner that uh, I've always talked about in every film I've made, but never been able to achieve, which is that the light is alive in that movie, and it yeah. and it and it's constantly moving and. You and I both know from a practical point of view, that's really difficult to achieve. It causes all yep. sorts of nightmares on set. But, but like, as you say, in, in that film in particular, um, like even in, you know, the scenes where Dickard is interviewing, uh, Rachel for the first time, there are just, there's just moving lights in every corner and from a continuity and my, point. Yeah. And, and it's my favorite word in the world. That, that lighting effect is called lucifaction. Lucifaction. Yeah. Is that the reflection, the water reflection kind it's of? It's the water, the water re reflection is called lucifaction. Yeah. I wasn't even light off water. I wasn't even talking about that. I'm talking about like when he's sitting by a window, you get, mm -hmm. you, you constantly feel that there are objects moving through through the light are, you know, around the windows right, and the right, light right. shafts are changing constantly. And, you know, like that is a, that is a, a nightmare for continuity is a nightmare for production is a nightmare for everything involved to the point where it's more trouble than it's worth a lot of times. But, but in the case of Blade Runner, th th this is the, this is the reason you do it because it gives every scene a sense of lived in. It gives, the entire film has a sense of being lived in because the light is constantly moving. And I would say to transition back to 2049, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, this tradition and sort of the, the, the wow factor of the way the world looks and feels, uh, for me, uh, translated over beautifully. Mm -hmm. I think this movie, the 2049 is, is, one of the most visually just stunning things I've seen in a long time. I saw it in an IMAX, even though it wasn't shot in that, I believe, but uh 2d. Right. Yep. Uh, Good for you. It was the, 
it was so good and the sound was excellent and it was just one of those things where I'm like yes this is why movie theaters exist when they work like this so it was one of those nice moments that I've been you know I've been shitting on movie theaters a bunch on the podcast lately that this was the moment where it all came together now granted I went in an afternoon on a weekday so it wasn't like you know the the crowd was not large uh but it was it just struck me incredibly just about like just Roger Deakins. I, it's funny we're, that we were talking about him before is he's my favorite cinematographer that I never knew his name, right. <laughs> uh, but I'm bad at that in general. Uh, um, and, and I, I think, um, Oh, just something just uh, even going off of the cinematography, this thing, the art direction and the costuming yeah. of this is plays a huge role. I think, uh, I think it's important to, to note that we always kind of forget about the, the other side yeah. of, the, of, of cinematography, which is the production design. And, and in both cases, costumes, uh, Renee, April, uh, have something to shoot yeah, yeah uh did an amazing job clothing all these characters and making not only their clothes look cool as shit but like really like lived in and then i mean uh, uh I, there's a list of names you can go to imdb but like uh david duran uh lida fry uh paul Angus, who was a supervising art director like they 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 just made this world feel real and it and it's so weird because it's a world that should not feel real <laughs> uh and i really it 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 you're immersed in it, whether you're talking about actually, uh, you know, Las Vegas or uh, the the L.A. itself, like the different locations. Uh, it really everything felt like, oh, shit, this is a place. So, Timor, uh, have yeah. you have you quit? <laughs> uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, you just saw this couple days. So you're still going. In fact, I'm energized and ready to uh, hopefully teach that man a lesson one day. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, do we, do I just we, wanted to watch something I've made once and be like, oh, that's that's lovely. And that's, the, that's the, reason I, the reason I say that is is while I do agree this film is lovely to look at, it is it is, uh, you know, to to borrow a line from the Droogs from Clockwork Orange, it is gorgeousness, it's gorgeousness and gorgeousness defined. Um, it I I have high expectations when it comes to a Roger Deakins lensed films these days. Um, and and I still I, while this is a beautiful movie, I will say that, uh, I think his work on the assassin assassination of Jesse James is, uh, is the, is peak Deacons, if you will. And it is uh, quint it is quintessentially the most beautiful thing he's ever done. And, and, and this, this while beautiful, uh, I still think the original Blade Runner actually is a better looking film and maybe I'm, you know, to team. I actually mind. agree with you. Yeah. Um, I think the original Blade Runner, there was, there's, there's one scene in the original that, that stands out to me as, as quintessentially why Jordan Cronenworth just, you know, there, there's a word my wife uses. It's, it's duende. It's when the, the, the magical spirit. Oh yeah. I've heard that word. And, and I think Jordan Cronenworth went so much further beyond maybe even his own capabilities in this one case because he was inspired. Um, it's when Decker finds the uh, scale of the snake in the bathtub. Right. And there is this dancing fairy of light in the bathtub for no reason. Right. Uh, it's really bright. It's really prominent there's, it's not a, it's not like it's an accident. It's very intentionally placed. And, and it's just one of those things where I'm looking at it saying that should not be there. That is a, that is a thing that most people would try to get rid of right in a frame, but he not only features it, but he makes it dance. And when he touches the scale, it twitters a little bit because it's been the fairy magic has been touched, you know, and it's, and, and I feel like 
when I found out they were making a sequel to Blade Runner, um, I, I think part of me, first of all, my insides died a little bit and I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're really going to go and do this and they're going to ruin this really badly, aren't they? Um, and then I heard Danny Villeneuve was going to direct. I was like, oh, okay. All right. You know, if, if anybody today, sure. you know, maybe Danny Villeneuve, maybe PT Anderson, that could be interesting. You know, yeah. it might be a little a different bender, than we yeah. used to, but you know, okay, that's, that's cool. And then they announced who the DP was and it was Roger Deakins. And that's when I went, oh my God, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's not going to fuck this up. And, and to you be know? fair, I think, you know, like the, the smart things that Villeneuve and um, Deacons do is they don't try to copy the world of Blade Runner. They try to create something. No, they make their own, they make their own thing of it. They make their and own I, universe. And I think and that's I really agree. smart. There's, there's daylight in this one. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, there's outside of the city. It's not pouring rain the entire time. So um, I, I just want to jump in real quick because the, the, you both said that you think the original looks better. Uh, I disagree. Granted, my my profession is not in uh, the professions that either of you are in. However, I have a theory um, and it might not hold water, but it actually goes against me in a different way. This theory. OK, so mm-hmm. we were talking about Terminator 2 and I've been railing and railing and railing how they can't make the T-1000 look as good as they did in Terminator two, when Shahir is like, no clinic, like you can look at it clinically they have. And I'm just like, I don't see it. I I don't Mm -hmm. see it. And I think it's the same case, honestly, uh, with, it could be anyway with Blade Runner based on when you've seen it, what you took from the original versus this new one, as I feel with the original, uh, VFX of the T 1000, because it's this thing where it's, uh, it's, there is a, um, a, you're, you're tied to it because you have sort of a bit of a history and B it's that like, it's that feel on actual film of all of these magical things, uh, Timur that you had sort of mentioned that are happening mm-hmm. versus now how they shoot movies and how things are all comped together definitely has a much different feel to it. Uh, so I'm wondering if it's a bit of uh, the kismet uh, between these sort of opinions of ours. Uh, and I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. And it's hard to it's hard to discern memories as we learn in this movie from uh, from what is real and, and what is just sort of manufactured by our brains. Well, there there is, of course, you know, something that's that's really important to remember is that, you know, where, where, and when, like, like you, when you were saying how, you know, the elements of Blade Runner, you've already consumed them through the homage of others yes. before you've actually watched it, you know, mm-hmm. um, you have to remember the context, right? So imagine in your mind, it's 1982. Okay. There has never, ever to that up until that point, with the exception of like 1923's Metropolis, yeah, yeah. a futuristic mm-hmm. city like that. Star Wars had a little bit of a yeah. taste of it, but but it was more of a space opera. It yeah. was more about the ships, and that was basically swashbuckling high seas adventures. Uh-huh. There has never been anything and, 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 and imagine yourself back in that time. No one has ever seen anything like that before, ever. Yeah. So every element of that film is brand new, right? Yeah. Now, um, 
I'm trying to think of like I, there was, I actually well, I, had a I similar mean, experience to that, you as I saw some classic movie now that I never saw back then. It was like something like uh, uh, the Maltese Falcon or whatever. Sure. And I hear all the lines and I see all the lighting and I see the blocking and I'm like, oh, that's from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's from mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And it did actually cheapen the Maltese Falcon. It actually made it feel quaint and trite and 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 like it's uh, uh, almost – making fun of itself because it's so cliche at this point. Sure. But at the time that movie was groundbreaking. Yeah. I just wish there was a phrase or, or, a, or, or some, or, or, or maybe there is one. Maybe there is a psychological phrase based on nostalgia that I could look up like, or not, not even nostalgia. It's, it's like, it's just based on when you experienced the thing and why I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to get too much into it. I just thought that was a real interesting context. Yeah. Context might just be it. Um, and yeah, I don't know, Let, but let's, let's, we've been dancing around for a bit. Let's, uh, can I read the IMDb? Yeah. Tell us what Blade Runner is for all this talk about look at how great yeah. it looks. What's it you about? You know, it looks great. Okay. Uh, 30 years after the event of the first film, a new Blade Runner LAPD officer K unearths a long buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. Uh, K's discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been been missing for 30 years what a surprise it would have been to not know that uh, that uh harrison ford was going to be in this movie well can i talk <laughs> this is something i want to bring up so first of all i'm going to i'm going to sing some praises about this movie and then i'll get to my my negatives but uh i love and this is a strange thing to say but in a sci-fi thing like this with the world is interesting in this with a with a cinematographer as great as this and a director as wonderful as this the level of restraint that this film kind that shows in this fantastical world with fantastic people. I love, and this is, we're getting into spoilers. It's 45 minutes into this podcast, even though we're just kind of starting to talk about this film, (laughs) they don't use Harrison Ford until like the last third. And I think that is wonderful. They tease it a little bit with some audio files. They do a couple other little things, but like it feels very natural by the time it gets to him. And I was, I, what I didn't want was them to like meet up in the first act and then buddy cop their way through this shit. Uh, and it didn't happen. It was great. So I, I think that was one example of, um, of, of just showing like, you know, you have all these cards or you have all these skills or these traits that make a wonderful thing. And they're like, you know what? We're going to hold off on this. We're going to hold off on this until the right moment here. And I just, I, in, in a world of, of summer schlockbusters, uh, I think that was very refreshing. Well, what what are your negatives? Oh, I mean, I, I we could get into that later. Well, I, I just, I mean, what's your what's your overall opinion of the film? I mean, overall, I think this movie is uh, dope AF, as the as the kids are saying. Uh, I think everybody in this movie did an amazing job. This is the Ryan Gosling I like. I mean, I like funny Ryan Gosling, but we, you know, we've gotten into fights about Drive. Uh, this is how that character should be played. <laughs> It's, he it's, yells weird. He does yell weird. You're 100 percent right. Like uh, that one part where he freaks out. I yeah. just totally was like, "What the hell?" But he's a robot. Uh, so, uh, but so I loved him. Uh, oh my god, uh, Joy is a joy. She's I, wonderful. I, I, what's her name? Avna. Uh, it is. I got it right here. It's uh, Ana de Armas. Ana de Armas. Yeah. Yep. Uh, friggin' uh, Robin Wright is wonderful as Lieutenant Batista. Holy shit, I love right. Batista. Let's get him in more non-Drax roles and more more Drax roles. Um, uh, Jared Leto, 
Yeah. Uh, nailing it out the park, I feel like. And oh, what was the what was the <laughs> I keep nicknaming her the Terminatrix, but the Terminatrix. Yeah. Uh, uh, love. Joy and love. Uh, uh, Sylvia Hoax. Hoax. Mm. Hoax. She was wonderful. Uh, everybody. Was, in she this- the, was she the bad replicant? Yes. Yeah. Uh, she was great. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it, I don't know. I just found, this is the thing. I really liked this movie and I left with a couple questions that I wasn't quite sure if they had answered. And after doing a little bit of research, I realized that the questions that I was left with, they didn't really answer, which is fine. I was just wondering if I had missed a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. This is what amazed me and why I thought it, I liked it so much. One, it's super long and that's normally a turnoff for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never, I was aware of the time, but I was never, it was never a detriment to me, which some could say that that might even be its own subconscious detriment. That's neither here nor there, but also because I don't have an affinity for, or particularly like beyond its aesthetic, the original blade runner. And I liked this so much. I was like, damn, this is a good movie. Like, and, and, and it's funny because I see the writing on the wall. I see like it's getting some mixed reviews. Uh, a friend of mine's uh, uh, took their 13 year old daughter and all of her friends to go see it. And the kids hated it <laughs> because it's slow. Like it's slow it and it's, slow. it's not a lot of blowing up shit and like whatever. But that's, I think, a good thing. Again, restraint. Um, I don't know. I, I dug the shit out of it. Uh, Timur, what, what did you think overall? Well, I I like the. I actually thought the story was pretty good. I I, I, yeah. I I like you know. I think I said it was an eight out of ten on story, and two hundred thirty five million two hundred fifty seven thousand two hundred twelve out of ten for art direction and cinematography. <laughs> it's a little low um, for, for a Deacon's movie. <laughs> it's a little low for a Deacon's movie, yeah. but uh, and it, it. I mean, like, there's there's a lot of elements I like about it. I, I mean, I. There's also a lot of things I don't like about it. Like, I think some of the acting, whereas it worked really well in the first one, like Terrell's kind of clunkiness worked. Yeah. I think uh, Wallace was a little, he was a little like Shakespearean. Mm. He saddled with the role of being Tyrell in this movie. He's where also- the rest of the movie isn't quite. You know, it doesn't have a Roy Batty, for example, to 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 to, to really that. bounce off. He's yeah. also saddled with the character that thinks he's God. Like that, that you're going to talk lofty when you think you're God. <laughs> like but that's. It, it, but you know, that's the thing is, if you're going to talk, if he's if that character, for example, is going to take the high horse and be God, he can't start talking about how oh, we just need to reenact slavery and everything will be fine. Like he kind of, I feel like, I feel like the writing in that one yeah. part where he talks about the disposable workforce and well, if everybody, if, that, and now we're getting it, into a little bit of theology, but if we believe God is all powerful and God has a plan and God caused all the things in life to happen, then God already caused slavery. And there we go. So <laughs> it's like, and I'm wrong. <laughs> no, but, but you know, no, no, no. But like, I, I, I don't know. No, you can totally see his performance is sort of over the top. Um, I get that, but I think I, I really liked it. I think it called for over the top. But I think when, when Jared Leto really sinks his teeth into something like this, uh, this is the correct, like, this is the way I want to see it. Not that there's an incorrect way to do that, but like, well, I guess there is, this is just the correct way, the way I enjoy. Damn it. I'm correct. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't think he was bad. I, I thought sure. it was great. I just, I just felt like there was a couple moments where it, it just went a little too far sure. and, okay. and it didn't pull me out of the story and it wasn't anything particularly disruptive. Uh, and I take it we're in uh, spoilers territory. Oh, yes. Like deep. Um, I, I, I really, really, really wish they didn't 
do the digital Rachel because it was just yeah. like, oh my god, Princess Leia's there. That was right. one of my negatives. Uh, and and it was it was exactly the same technology as Princess Leia from Rogue One. And Princess Leia freaked me out just as much as Rachel freaked me out. I would have rather they hired a cast and actress who looked a lot like her. They did. They did have a, an actress uh, playing her who they then digitally altered for the I, role. Yeah, it just didn't I, look I, right. That was the one yeah. moment where I felt the restraint fell because there was a time when it cut away from her and she spoke. And I was like, yes, they're not going to show her fucking lips move. And I'm like, yes, please just don't do that. And then they have her have one line. And I was like, oh, OK. What yeah, saying, if they would have if they would have replicated from the original one, the walk up right. and how how impressive that shot is to cinematic history, you know, where she walks up and and right before she settles into the, you know, to deliver her line, uh, just to go back to Jordan Cronenworth for a second, he just put a little piece of cardboard above the lens that made a shadow of, mm-hmm. uh, just oh, yeah, gr- yeah, yeah. cross over her face for a second. Yeah. And it gave the audience like permission to breathe, you right. know, like it's those little subtle things that make that sh- these shots so great. And and they could have done something like that, you know, just had her approach and you see that it's Rachel cut okay. to Decker. She delivers one or two lines and just push in on, you know, Decker's face and leave her out of it. Yep. You know, you understand who the character is. You can hear her voice. That's fine. But looking at that creepy, like, Muppet looking like fake human. Oh man, that just really ruined it for me. I would have rather just seen Jared Leto in a wig. Uh, yeah, no, you it's know? a little, it's a little bit of a, Hey, look what we can do. And we're like, yeah, we know what you can do. Like, that's the only time this movie does that. But no, but overall I liked it. I mean, I, I well acted. The story was interesting, uh, beautifully directed. Obviously, you know, the visuals, uh, are great. The one criticism I actually had, and 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 it's the reason I agree with um, Shahir on the fact that the original Blade Runner actually kind of looks better. Is that I don't feel like the photography and the story are as well integrated, right? In this film, I feel like I still feel like these are beautiful set pieces with actors standing around them. Mm-hmm. Delivering lines. Right. Whereas in Blade Runner, it's almost like all that weird, like howling. And there was always these like howls and whistles and wind chimes and, you know, kind of noises that that made you feel like, you know, the air conditioning unit or the something is making all this noise. And, and every scene had this, you know, cohesive world to it. This one, I didn't feel like the world was there as much as, See- as beautiful as it was. It, the whole thing didn't gel quite as well, but but on an individual shot by shot basis, I think Roger Deakins did better work than Jordan Cronenweth. But I don't, and this is very rare for Deakins because this is kind of his specialty: yeah. is creating cohesive films. I think that there were, it felt a little bit more disjointed than. It would, it should have. I'm going to. Whereas the other one felt totally rock solid all the way through. I'm going. I'm going to both agree and disagree with you in a classic Matt Kroll fashion. Uh, I totally, so I, I, I get the disconnect uh, a little bit, sort of, from what you're saying here. Uh, I took it as 
so they have this world that I think they, 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 you know, as we've discussed the, even in shot by shot basis, they fleshed out very well, but they don't exactly as much as say the original put that world on display outside of its main characters. Is that kind of what you were saying a little bit? Like, I felt like there was, there was a, they were hinting at a lot of a huge world, but then they decided only to focus on, which is fine, but it doesn't feel as, um, you know, mixed together. Yeah. Like for example, like I think a good example is, and and it's kind of a, a, a semi useless scene really, but it, 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 it does a lot of like world building, which is when Decker orders noodles in the beginning of right. Blade Runner, the original. So he sits there, he orders noodles. The guy doesn't understand them. He has to do it again. And you see all these characters and people with the lighted umbrellas and he's standing in front of a record store and he's, you know, like, and, and you get a sense that, oh, wow, there's, you know, this is, there's a hustle and there's a bustle. This one to me felt more compartmentalized. In yes, I'll agree with that. Yeah. The car. They were in the car a lot. Well, they, they were in the car a lot in the old one, too. Half that movie I mean, is, were, is Harrison but, Ford but staring out a window. Would, but then he would get out of the car and go order noodles <laughs> in, in a crowd of people where, you know, you can see other characters. And and there were scenes that tried to do that with the prostitutes. And yeah, and they don't hit, they stuff. don't hit as hard. I 100 percent. And they agree just with that. didn't they just didn't have that oomph yeah. a little bit. And, and I don't know if that's old school Ridley Scott genius mixing with Jordan Cronenworth genius and creates all kinds of craziness. Or if that's just, I don't know, maybe we just, because we, everyone has so much history of the original, we look back at it and put it on the pedestal and automatically it's better no matter what. I definitely you agree know? that the, that the outside city scenes, if we're looking at that noodle shop scene versus the scene where Kay gets confronted by the prostitutes here, the noodle mm-hmm. shop scene, a hundred percent all day, every day, it feels yeah. more real or more lived in. But I, I, I do think that overall, uh, that's not the norm, at least for my, my, my experience of this movie another thing unless she here i'm sorry we're just going back and forth you got something buddy uh yeah sure i'll jump in here with my uh <laughs> overall thoughts though i think you guys have touched on a few interesting uh notes about the the contextualization of how this film is cohesive versus incohesive um i um i admired the film i have to admit i didn't love it but i think uh i will definitely see it again which is uh probably as good a uh, a good appraise as I think I can give it at this point in that, in that I think this is definitely a film with multiple viewings. My major issue with this and, and I guess my indifference slightly to uh, the original Blade Runner is I think philosophically the, the questions that this film is, uh, is asking of us as an audience and, and asking about the world that it's created are, are fundamentally somewhat uninteresting to me um, in that, in that, you know, like uh, the original Blade Runner uh, asked the question, uh, what if you suddenly found out, what if you didn't know you were, you were a machine, you know, and, and how would that fundamentally alter your perception of the world around you? Um, and this film kind of flips that on its head, which is that it's, what if you are a machine, but you might actually have a soul? And, and, and I think that's, that's a moderately interesting question, but it's steeped in a production design and a world that is so, uh, departed from, from any basis of reality that I understand that I found it hard to get emotionally engaged in Ryan got in, in Kay's dilemma, you know, uh, while it, the questions were being, um, questions were being asked about, you know, his humanity and does he have a soul? Um, I was like, well, 
in this universe, that might be an interesting question. In my universe, where I'm watching this from, that reflects no interesting parallels that I can that I can grasp onto. Mm. It runs concurrently with a story of of Kay and and his artificial lover um, uh, Joy, and. And I think the 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 and and I think the the parallels that that the that the way that those two stories run are are actually thematically interesting, but they feel like they're two different movies to me, and 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 one which which doesn't quite gel together. I know and by the end of this movie, the story of of Kay and Joy kind of meshes in a parallel way with the story of Kay's discovery of his own humanity or the questioning of his own humanity. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's done in such a, there's such a level of uh, artifice to this movie that I found that, that, that it actually philosophically, I'm not that interested in whether K is human or whether uh, Dick, it is a replicant. See, I, and, Oh, sorry. Um, and, and, you know, the films, you know, this is the, we, we've been talking about, uh, Blade Runner, uh, and, and this film, and, you know, we, 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 we steep those in the, in the sort of, um, author, authorship of, uh, Ridley Scott and, and Jordan Cronenworth and, and, uh, Roger Deakins and Denis Villeneuve, the, the person we sort of sometimes occasionally forget in this is Philip K. Dick and, and his story, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And, and I, I think, you know, uh, for, for all it's worth, I think the topics that, that, that Philip K. Dick, you know, touched on in, in do androids dream of electric sheep are, are better told in other films that have been adapted of his work. So I think, for example, philosophically, I think minority port is a far more interesting film and has a lot more interesting things to say about our reality even though it's steeped in an art, in a, in an, in an artifice that is not our own. I think, um, a film like, um, even, even, a, I would even say a film like total recall kind of toys around with some of these ideas, um, in a more interesting way. Um, and, and, you know, I would, uh, other films have touched upon some of the, the, the philosophical ideas of like shared memories and artificial, you know, like is, what is the definition of love and what is the definition of artificiality? You know, so a film like her, I think is more emotionally engaging. Ex Machina, I think gets into this idea of humanity of, of machines a little bit better. And, and it's not that it's not that none of this is there in this film. And, and I do want to see it again. I, I'm kind of drawn back to that comment you made earlier, Timor, about like mm-hmm. what it must've been like in 1982 watching Blade Runner for the first time. I wonder if, you know, like in 10, 15 years when I watch Blade, uh, Blade Runner 2049, I might, I might take it slightly differently. But okay. at this stage, my main problem with this film is is that it is a beautiful piece of work. It is a gorgeous piece of work. It is, but I, I'm, I'm oddly unengaged with it and, uh, and, and oddly unmoved by it. I think for the reasons that you've just described, uh, the movie itself, uh, kind of goes against a lot of the thing or, 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 or transitions due to the twist of what sort of happens in it. Uh, 
making making me experience the point of it as something completely different from any of the stuff that you've just brought up. In fact, the the fact that it doesn't really do that stuff well, it, you know, I 100% agree with because I don't think that's what it's actually trying to do. I don't think this movie is making you do like the question of, oh, does it have a does he have a soul or blah, 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 blah. It starts out that way 100%. And then it left turns real hard when first you think it, it's funny. I thought I was so clever when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, he's the kid. Kay's the kid. Kay's the kid that was born from the replicant. He's got the horse. He's got the memory. Whoa. And he's going to uncover it. Now he's talking to Harrison Ford and it's his dad. It's going to be crazy. And then I was like, and then I, as that was happening before the other, the main uh, twist into the third act, um, I I was like, yeah, that's neat. And then I was like, oh, I don't give a shit. And then it was all this stuff she here. You just brought up like the soul crap and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, uh, okay. And then the twist happens and it happens in the same, uh, you know, this sort of revelation happens a little bit uh, very close to one another um, between the relationship with him and joy and this revelation that in fact, he is not this special uh, replicant baby. He's not the chosen one. He's just a regular fucking replicant. And he, uh, and in that, in around that same time, you realize that the love of his life, joy, who is essentially a Siri product, uh, does not actually love him as he's walking by her in the billboard and realizes why he, she named him Joe and like all this other stuff. There's this, this fucking cacophony of just realizing, you know what? K Joe, whatever Ryan Gosling, you're not special. And no one in this story is special. And then what do you do with that information? Again, I've said this, this quote a couple times in this podcast. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. That's a Joss Whedon quote from fucking angel. And that, that is the theme that I feel like is the most prominent. And even though it does flip flop to get there, that I think is the point of it. When he decides, K just decides like, wow, I'm not special. You know, what'd be really fucking good of me to do. Get Deckard to his daughter. And then he just decides this literally a nobody risks his entire life to just do this one thing. And in, depending on how you read the end of this movie, he might sacrifice his life to do this one thing. So I found that notion of building up all this stuff that we, that you talked about that sort of didn't work. And I a hundred percent agree. If that's where I think it was trying to go, it would not work. And then just being like, no, all oh, that's bullshit. Be a good fucking person. <laughs> like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to that. And a, and a, and a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just sort of a, a finality to that and, uh, and, and, uh, and a dark, empty void of happiness to that. And I really dig that. Uh, so that was kind but, of the message but, I took across from it. Matt, do you think that, do you think that, you know, Kay's decision to finally do something right in light of the information that he's not special, you know, is that his Terminator lowering himself into the vat of molten steel moment? I mean, is that his, you know, develop like, you know, uh, what's her name? Um, oh my God. The police chief says, you know, you've been doing fine without a soul. Without yeah. Soul. Yeah. It is the realization but, that he has, a, that, that the soul doesn't come from being born. It's, it's, it doesn't, yeah, it's, do. it's, I would it's say, earned in a sense. I would say that, that, that it is, I guess we're just looking at it from different philosophical points of view. It's, it's, it's not that he earned his soul there or that's where it is. It's that souls don't matter. None of this matters. It, none of this soul talk. It doesn't fucking matter. It, it you make your own sort of destiny based on what you want to do, no matter if you're the chosen one or just some regular Joe. And okay. that that's something that I I love when I see sort of narratives like that and things that sort of twist into that direction, because it and again, this is coming from me like 
I believe that we are a cosmic coincidence on a speck of dust, like all this stuff. You know, I could go into my my whole like, why are we here sort of thing. It's not based on any religion. It's not all any of that sort of stuff. It's just uh, it, it's it's I think there's a beauty to when we kind of step back from any sort of theology or reasoning or sort of like just what like why are we here in general as like a as a species or like whatever and you just real if you just there's a and not even just realize because I don't know if I'm right I'm just saying if if we're just a coincidence or if there's nothing really special about any of this that in itself is this beautiful freedom and this movie at the end of it and I didn't think it was going to head that way really touched on those points and uh, it 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 was definitely it was definitely speaking to my wheelhouse <laughs> so I think that might be a reason why I was very passionate about it uh, but again I can totally see how it can be read many different ways based on belief structure well i mean like for example like as far as purely story-wise right the most interesting part of the entire story to me was the opening scene with david batista mm-hmm. oh that was just be- played beautifully it was played beautifully but honestly when he says you've never seen a miracle mm. and then he, he he pops the cap in his ass and, and yeah. that's it for david batista but the truth is that line stayed with me for the whole movie because it actually generated. Yeah. yeah, It actually generated interest. I was like, what does he mean? Yeah. Wait, what's he talking about? You know? And it's a, what miracle, you know? And, and I kept through the whole movie. I just kept asking that, what is that? And then they discover the bones. Right. And then they discover, Oh crap, this was a pregnant replicant. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, the miracle is a baby, you know, like, and I feel like I almost wanted to watch the story I wish Blade Runner 2049 was David Batista and the bad guy was the Roy Batty was right. Ryan Gosling. Right. I mean, sure. They, they definitely, I didn't watch it yet, but they did do an, an animation uh, to they bridge did, the they gaps. They did uh, three short films to bridge the gap. But I don't know so. if it even touches. I don't know. No, they do. The, yeah. the Batista, their, Batista's character is, is elaborated a little bit further on. It basically does a film the day before uh, uh, Kay turns up at his door um, when he's trying to sell some of his, some of his, uh, his wares, uh, out in the city, uh, the, 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 the short films kind of it'll ex- extrapolate a little bit on the film, but they're, they're not necessarily, I think the most interesting one, uh, is perhaps the one about Jared Leto's char- character Wallace and, and his sort of goal to reintroduce replicants into the world. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I think it's, it's mildly, interesting and i think it's 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 dancing around some topics that i think are weighty but but my problem is unlike say a film like children of men or minority report or or um uh even ex machina um where there is um there is even those films are set in a heightened reality that's far devoid from our own there is a children of men's very close to our own. Uh, you know, maybe our own in the next five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a there's a resonance to those films that that touch upon the world we live in, and 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 I found generally the the question of the soul in this film and and you know what is humanity if if humanity if, if artificiality can be birthed. Um, you know, like as Gosling says, uh, you know, um, uh, I've never killed something that was born because being born presumes that you have a soul. Uh, and she says, you've been doing fine with that, you know, without one for so long. Um, 
I find I, I just find all of those questions a little bit less impactful because because we know that that K is a replicant and and what his the impact of his of his having a soul doesn't seem to matter. And 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 here's the other thing as well is I think narratively what happens in this film it feels like from a story point of view, the stakes are very high for each of these characters. But when you step back and you watch it from the point of view of like, well, what is actually happening and who wants what the stakes seem actually a little bit odd and muddled and a little bit low. Like what does Wallace want with Dickard and why does he, why is he so hell bent on getting him? Like, like his, his main goal. Should they don't be, touch on that a lot. And, and, and you know, like what, what, and, and, you know, like it just seems to, none of this seems to resolve in a way that, that explores the philosophical potential of, of what they're trying to get at. Now, I think in repeat, again, this is, um, you know, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it, it's a masterfully made film. And I think, you know, the, 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 the other side, the other side of this, that, that maybe, uh, I'm starting to find not tiresome, but I'm just like, Oh, we've done this. We've done this song and dance before in the, in the world of the rebooted Harrison Ford franchise, <laughs> he, you know, the, the did beat Harrison Ford father figure is something we've seen three times over now. What was the third, uh, Indiana Jones, the force. Oh Awakens, yeah. And this, I forgot know? about Indiana like, Jones, he's, man, he's the fa- the absentee father. I have blocked crystal skull from my yeah. memory. And so I'm just, I, you know, like it's, it's it's playing on a trope that I've kind of feel like we're we're we've danced around a little bit before, um, and and you know I, look I will definitely watch this film again I will definitely try this on again and I and I think if you go online and read there's there's lots of things to 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 find in this film I just find and and that is not to say there aren't joyous interesting scenes like I think one of the best scenes is when when joy decides to invite a replicant over and and and, and you know engage in sex with with k the only thing is I, that scene feels like it's from a different movie entirely i think it feels it, like it's from the same movie i just feel like it's for the the b plot and also you just like it because it's robot hologram sex well i think it's interestingly played <laughs> yeah, it's interesting it's interesting play, but it was better done in her like and, and i think it fits better in a film like her which is about that sure. kind of relationship and and you know the the other the other thing that I think is really beautiful that I that I really loved is this idea of shared memories, uh, which is something that Philip K. Dick has gotten into mm-hmm. quite a lot. And it's this idea that the the daughter of uh, of Dickard uh, has a shared memory with K. And, and there's something. Oh, sorry. There's something that's not uh, clear about that is why he sort of has that. Right. Well, there's a bunch of different theories, but it's not made intrinsically clear in the film why Kay has it or do multiple replicants have it? Has she been planting seeds to try to get someone to I find the they, clues? They, they explain this like 100 percent where they said that Dickard says, I told them how to how to cover their tracks. They We cut to a shot of two DNA samples that yep. are identical. And so they were both implanted with the same memory um, in order to, to find in order so that Kay could find her. Um, I don't get it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm lost. I mean, it, 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 it's explained that he was implanted with that memory, but to find her, to find her or, or not to find again, that's, that's it's a little bit loose at that point. I'm going to have to watch that again. Cause I th- definitely that if uh, I but, remember but that, that moment, Ford, but I don't remember that moment having that, that, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the narrative points about like, 
you know, because the, 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 the inscription on the tree is the inscription that's at the bottom of his memory. So it triggers his memory in order to find her. And, and, but and how would Wall- they know that he would be there? Wallace, Wallace says something really profound that, that plays into the, is Dick at a replicant uh, question without ever answering it, which is when he's, conf- when he, when he brings Wallace, uh, when Wallace brings uh, Dickard to see his Rachel, he asked the question, perhaps, the the genius of Terrell was that you two were supposed to meet. You two were always designed to meet, and that's why you are. You know that that's why this baby was born. Uh, you know it is all part of the master program. And I think you know again, mildly interesting. I think played well. Uh, n- doesn't resonate with me for some reason. It just doesn't like none of this really echoed in a way that made me sit up in my seat. I agree that the moment when I, I appreciated that, that K turns out not to be the chosen one. I, I really, I thought that was a, a smart move because On everything both levels, well, everything up until that point was like, okay, is the chosen one K is the son. He is, he just doesn't realize it yet. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Harrison Ford and, and, um, and uh, Ryan Gosling, like playing opposite each other. Um, and it all makes sense. But, but so it is smart to actually like undercut that and not have that moment, uh, not let him have that moment. Yeah. Um, much in the same way, I think uh, a film like Snowpiercer does the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, again, admired this film a lot. Really, really did admire it. I And, and in fact, uh, as much as I think Blade Runner, uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner is a bitter looking film, I think Blade Runner 2049 is a bitter film. I'm still just not interested. Wait, say that again? Blade Runner, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner is a better looking movie. Looking. There we go. That's what uh, it was. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is a better movie. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but I'm, I, I, you know, again, if you asked me which Philip K. Dick adaptation should I watch that will question, you know, the, make you question life and philosophy as you know it, I would point to Minority Report. Um, right. And I wouldn't necessarily point to this. Uh I guess that was kind of a final thought. Yeah, that was yeah. Kind of a, but, uh, but a beautiful film, yeah. definitely worth every dollar uh, you can spend on it at a, at a big screen, beautifully directed, beautifully acted, beautifully written. Um, you know, it's got all the hallmarks of all the great things, but, but for me, not the, the resonant and maybe that'll come in future viewers. Yeah. I'm going to say my quick things. Then uh, Timor, we'll have you close it up. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, we've, we've talked about what we've disagreed with and what we've sort of agreed with all the good things. I definitely agree with what everyone has sort of said and some of the bad things as well. Uh, but uh, I, I'm going to go with, with just to sort of close off because I feel like I've just been doing a bit of a love fest with this. There are a few things that are a bit problematic uh, in this movie that I do love and think you should go see. Uh, one of which, uh, you know, obviously the CGI um, Rachel, that was a big problem for me. And I know Timor, you brought that up as well. Also, this I, is, I hate to jump in on that, but I actually, I actually thought thought that was really smartly played the way they did that. And it works so much better than Carrie Fisher. It, it did until they showed character. lips move and speak at the same time for me. I, I was like, Oh, you fucked it up. You, you came so close to not fucking it up and you fucked it up for and me. The, the only reason I'll say that I think it works is that she's supposed to be uh, a, a simulation of something that we've seen before. Well, she's supposed in, to be a, an exact replicant of a replicant, but the problem is she's not. That's the issue. She's not she, literally. I know she's supposed to be a, 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 a robot. A co- it's like a copy of a copy. And that's why it works for me. Like it's not, it's uh, not a hundred percent perfect. And that's oh, where the, eye, the eyes thing, I well, guess just, yeah. just in general, like, whereas Carrie Fisher is supposed to be Carrie Fisher. Took me out of it. Uh, and then also there's some other problematic things just on a sort of a, a filmmaking level. This isn't exactly the most inclusive film. 
uh, <laughs> which again, not everything, you know, I mean, it just, it's in this time and you know, it just, I noticed it. I'm like, there's a lot of white people. Uh, and then, uh, also the joy while I did really like their relationship, if you kind of take a step back, we're getting into a bit of a from going from like a manic pixie dream girl to more of like this almost like weird sciencey sort of like subjugation of the the female role in 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 movies these days a little bit. And uh, you know, this gets into a lot of lofty questions about like you know AI and what you know this thing is literally programmed to love whoever bought it, mm-hmm. and and I know other things have done this too, but then like what you know, then you could either, you could either go real dark and be like, well, this is a very sort of like very, uh, patriotical, uh, pa- uh patriotical fucking, you know, message there. Or what you could get into the whole thing of like, what is love is all of our experiences encoding us to be falling in love with whoever we fall in love with. And isn't that not just the same thing? I don't know. It's just a very, it's not that level's not explored. It's just sort of like, she's a product. And so that you could look at in a negative light. I guess uh, the only way to answer that question is Robin Wright Penn, who's the other hu- female human in this character in, yeah. in this film, doesn't have that kind of doesn't have the ability to have sex with robots the way that Kay does in this film. Say that again. She, she doesn't have she doesn't have sexual um, she doesn't have a sexual subservience with replicants or uh, or or anything. You know, the film doesn't like explore that this could uh, operate on both sides. It only seems to exist for male characters. Right. Yes, yes, and yes. hundred kind percent. Of like, yeah. That would be the defining feature of like whether this makes Though she does come on to him lightly, comes on to Kay very lightly in his apartment, but that's not the same thing. No. Uh, and yeah, so, but other than that, look, I, this could have totally gone off the rails being a fucking reboot of a sci-fi franchise uh, or a sequel and it didn't. So go see it. I'm sorry. I, I rambled. Timor, take us home, buddy. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's, it's an interesting thing to compare the two films because of the history surrounding the original and, and, you know, just how impactful it was to, to science fiction and, and, you know, creating the pretty much single-handedly creating the entire genre of cyberpunk in itself. Um, and the difference is that, you know, following up an act that big, um, the fact that this film was as functional and beautiful and well-created and thoughtfully, thoughtfully crafted. I, I think it's a, it's a definite C and, and it deserves a place in, in, you know, film history for, even if it, even if not, maybe the best piece of storytelling ever, but just from a, you know, visual and technical sense, it, I think it did honor the first film, uh, appropriately. That said, you know, of course, everything has, there's sores on everything. You know, the original had some huge problems and this one had a few problems and mainly with, uh, uh, just how bad Rachel looked, uh, as a, just a non-functional piece of CG. But, uh, every other minute, you know, there was some really groundbreaking lighting, lighting effects and, and, um, camera tricks at play here. So what was the name um, of that water lighting effect? Lucifaction. Lucifaction. All of Lucifaction for days in this film. <laughs> for days in this thing. <laughs> I think yeah, Timur, and, you and I were talking offline about uh, about the the use of Lucifaction in, in 2049, uh, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. But I I found it a little. I think it's something a point that you mentioned uh, as well, Matt, which is that they felt this film felt like very much like characters placed in beautiful yes, sets, sure, as opposed to living in world that haven't been said i want jared leto's aqua office like i want it now 
Uh, I think <laughs> you know that humid would, is going to be in there. I don't man. give a shit. Oh, he's he can build people. He's figured out humidity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also I also love the uh, you know the analogy to the in a blind will the one eyed man is king with the uh, the leader of the replicants is a one eyed woman and Jared mm-hmm. Leto's Wallace is entirely oh, blind. Why did you remind me of that part? I hate that part. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it was like the dance scene in fucking Matrix Four. Well, oh, how, how so? What, what do you mean? I don't know. It was like, oh God, there's a rebellion now. Like, there's I, I, rebels. Are yeah. they gonna? Is like Ray gonna show up with the fucking roly robot thing? And you know, like, uh, it has a name and it's BB-8. Sure, um, I love Star Wars <laughs> for sure. But I mean, I I don't know. There was there was some clunky stuff in this, and and you know what it, it was? I don't think it was that it was even clunky. I think the the big flaw in this film was was that. It tried to do a little too much. Right. Possibly. You know, my wife has this great thing that she says. She goes, whenever you do anything, whether you're getting dressed, you're designing something, you're cooking something, you're lighting something, whatever it is in in your life, do all the things you think you want to do. And right before you execute it, take one thing out. Right. Yeah, that's smart. And I think that was what this was missing. And, And I think that's what the original had. Was it was Maybe. it was yeah. just a little bit of let's go far but not too far, yeah. you know, and 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 it's not enough to kill it for me at all. No. I, I love yeah. it, but I just think that there was a lot going on. <laughs> you know, there was a lot going on in this movie. You know, like her, like you know, dude was walking around inside of a head for a while. Yeah, it was like it, a giant sculpture head thing, and he was like walking through that. And then next thing you know, like David Batista's throwing him through a wall face first. I, I, know, I do like, love the implementation of all the technology in this film. I think I think it is a yeah. really beautifully designed film. Um, you know, like from from the actual. Uh, thinking of how things work and, and, and also the, the visual sense of how things look mm-hmm. um, in this world. There's one transition in this film that will go down for me as one of the best cinematic transitions. Uh, Which one? Uh, and it would be um, uh, Firelight uh, Embers into a City Oh, God. Uh, which was so good. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was, yeah, pretty, was pretty, pretty amazing. I, I wish the film had uh, a little more of that kind of sense of dreaminess uh, I guess might have made the the sort of the ponderance of, of philosophical questions a little more interesting for me. Well, mm-hmm. we we all have likes and unlikes about this movie, but I think we can all agree. Go see it. No Absolutely. one's going to say Yo, it. With- definitely great. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this has been the only podcast about Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Tamora, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and, and chatting it up with us. When, when you're not um, maybe proofing that you aren't a replicant, where can folks find you? Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, and second, you can find me at uh, TimorSavon.com or, or at TimorSavon on Instagram or Twitter. Can you spell um, that for us, Timor? Just to, you know. Yeah. Sure. Uh, T-I-M-U-R-C-I-V-A-N. Yeah. Fantastic. A lot and of great work there. And a lot of great work that you might see of mine on there as well. Not to double. Wow. Not to double dip. Wow. Double dip. Did double you see? Yeah. 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 Listen, uh, Timor, your stuff's great, but did you see how great Shahir's stuff is on I, your I'm site? I'm just saying that there was this video with this like sound wave thing. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, yeah. Indian guy made it. It was awesome. I and loved some, it. And some robots. Let's oh. not forget about the robots. Uh, Shahir, oh, yeah, robots. Shahir, when you're not taking shine away from your boy. When I'm not double dipping in Timor's soup. Where can you, <laughs> where can folks find you? <laughs> you can. 
can find me at shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matthew Kroll, tell us where you can find you and us. <laughs> you can find me at Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram, Emperor MSK on Twitter, or Matthew dot, or sorry, Matthew Kroll.com uh, for all my life and works. Uh, you can find us at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. What did you think of this 2049 year? Uh, do you think it was worthwhile? Do you think it's better, worse, other? Tell us what you think about this movie and we will talk about it next crime. Uh, you can also find us at OnlyMoviePod on Twitter and please keep the iTunes reviews a rolling uh, because they help us help you. Help us help you uh, in, in the Jerry Maguire sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. Help me help you. In the post-Reagan uh, imbalance of uh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> Woo! Um, also, we are a little behind on, uh, a lot behind on our listener request. We will uh, get to them once there's like a, a decent opening of not as many big movies coming out. Yes. Uh, and uh, also, uh, we have a live show coming up. We do have a live show this coming up. This is the up. first time we've, we can talk about it. What date is it again? Do you remember? Because I'll pull up my calendar right now. <laughs> this is how new it is. Spooktober 26th. Yeah. We are doing it at QED in Astoria. I believe it's at 9 p.m. We're going to be doing uh, just a sort of a retrospective and sort of horror and why it all works for us. We're going to have some special guests we'll announce later. Uh, it's going to be fucking cool. If I'm you, psyched. Uh, if you live in Astoria or uh, in New York City, please come out and see us. Fun fact, uh, Sean Young who plays Rachel in the original movie yep. lives in a story. Really? Really? Well, oh, I hope she shit. comes. Uh, yeah, so come check us out there. And uh, this does it for this episode. Thank you, uh, Timor, once again. Thank you, Shahir. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we will see y'all next week. Uh, unless, of course, we are retired. Uh. <laughs> And by that, we mean executed. And by that, we mean retired or executed. Look, we might be dead. <laughs> Only podcast can come to the phone right now. Why not? We're dead. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> Bye. Bye.